Tango Tango Papa 2119, July 29, 2022. Have we seen the actual reality of a monstrous crime? Or merely an illusion? The product of a tortured brain? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Wiles here with you, coming to you this evening from home. So, uh, I got home, I guess it was uh, kind of early Wednesday evening. I think I got home around 6, 6 p.m. Uh, so, I'm uh, taking my regular time off. I, uh, so... Basically, I've got two days left. I've got Saturday and Sunday, and then uh, back to work on uh, Monday. So, and I already know where I'm going. I'm going to be uh, picking a load up uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and then that load delivers to, uh, I don't remember which day, but it delivers to, uh, it's got plenty of time on it, I think, uh, Clearfield, Utah. And I think... If I'm thinking right, that's actually the same load, basically, that I had when I went to work uh, the last time. So, anyway, I'm recording this. Uh, I'm kind of distracted. I'm recording this uh, with the uh, OBS Studio, so there's going to be a video version of it uh, that I intend to uh, upload to YouTube, so... And then I make a, you know, split the audio off and make a regular audio podcast out of it as well. So, uh, anyway, it was, uh, I guess, the past several days, or maybe a week or more, it's been really hot here. Uh, they've had some uh, several like low 100 degree plus days here where, the, you know, it was like 100 and whatever uh, 104, 101, whatever, uh, number of days in a row. And there's been a bit of a drought here. But, uh, and so the day that I got home Wednesday was, it was like, I don't know, is it like 99 degrees or something? But, uh, it has cooled down. So, uh, we ended up getting quite a bit of rain overnight and it was kind of amazing uh, of course whenever I got home I normally uh, you know I'm gone I uh, no one's mowing so I'm the one that has to mow and normally uh, you know uh, whenever I come home uh, it's time to mow again but in this case uh, since it didn't rain the grass didn't grow really from uh, from when I was home before when I mowed, so uh, don't have to mow, so <laughs> don't have to do that. And of course, the, everything looked really brown and you know, like kind of burned up or whatever. But uh, it's it was amazing. It rained, like I say, it rained quite a bit overnight. And uh, what ended up happening? The grass is green. <laughs> 
uh, I think, you know, and it's not only just my yard, it's everywhere's turned green. Uh, and, you know, and it, the only thing that, it, and it didn't take it long at all. It, uh, like I say, it rained overnight. I don't, I'm not sure. Some places I think got maybe upwards of three inches. I'm not sure. I have no idea what I had, what I got out here at the house. Uh, so, but it rained and it looks like it, you know, I don't know. I was looking at the, uh, forecast or I don't know the forecast earlier and it was saying that there might be more rain, but let's see what it says. So right now it's 75 degrees clear with periodic clouds. Looks like it's supposed to start raining maybe again about 1 a.m. Well, there's like a 30% chance, and then that goes up to 90% at uh, like 7, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. So it looks like it's going to be raining, uh, you know. And maybe, uh, yeah, and even, yeah, Saturday, and then maybe some on Sunday, and then Monday uh, when I go back to work, it's... Going to be back up at like 92, which that's uh, more of a kind of a temperature that we would expect around here. Although it can it can end up easily getting, you know, we do have years where we'll have several days in a row where it's 100 degrees plus. Uh, and it, that just happens. Now you go to a place like Dallas, Texas, which really Dallas is like 360 miles from here. And uh, in the w summer, typically they really get they get um, normally they'll get. It's been my experience they they get a, a string of hundred degree plus days in the summer, and that's just normal for there. And then plus there they have really hot days that stretch on out, uh, be, you know, beyond. Uh, you know, later into the year, whereas with here, uh, it's already, you know, the temperature, you know, after, usually after Labor Day, then the temperatures become a lot more reasonable, you know. And in a lot of the areas of the country, it's, uh, you know, after, you know, it's Labor Day, or Labor Day is usually pretty warm, and then uh, immediately after that, it's like somebody flipped a switch, and uh, things cool off quite a bit, so... But uh, you know it won't be long, and we're <laughs> we're going to be getting back into the cooler weather and uh, back to the winter, you know. So, which I really, you know, as I've said many times before, I really dislike winter weather, uh, and especially driving in it, and, and especially driving a truck in the mountains. Uh, really don't like that, but. Uh, on the other hand, I like the money, so <laughs> so I'm uh, continuing to save money and uh, spend it every once in a while. Now, while there was when I was home the last time, I th think I, m I mentioned it. I got a uh, a dishwasher. I went ahead and replaced my dishwasher, uh, even though the old one was uh, there was nothing wrong with the old one, but it was other than the fact that it, uh, you know, I got the house new. I moved into the house new in 1995, and uh, 
so that it was a whirlpool dishwasher and, you know, just, an, you know, probably, you know, like a base model whirlpool. And it worked great uh, all those years and it continued to work, but uh, it was 20-something years old. So, you know, I figured I might as well uh, go ahead and just replace it. It's the only appliance in the house that I haven't replaced. So... Uh, Replaced that, and you know, so like $1,200 later, it's uh, replaced, and I'm very happy with it. It's a Bosch dishwasher, a 300 series is what I ended up getting, and I'm quite happy with that. Uh, now, yesterday, was it yesterday morning? Yeah. Yesterday morning, I got this kind of, I don't know I, why I did it. I was looking on... Uh, Best Buy's website. I've looked, uh, you know, like they have these iPads, you know, like the base model iPad, you know, like 64 gig, 64 gigabyte, and it's a base model iPad. And they've had them for a while for, uh, you know, like $313 or whatever, depending on where you buy it from, because it may be more expensive in some places and a little few dollars cheaper in others, like on Amazon. But they've never had, whenever I've looked on like Best Buy, they've never had them in stock. And so I got this wild hair yesterday morning. <clears throat> and so I uh, looked and lo and behold, they had them in stock. So I uh, went ahead and I ordered it, uh, you know, online from the, the Best Buy website. You can see the fingerprints I've got all over it. So I ordered it online from the Best Buy website, and uh, it wasn't long, and they sent me a text message saying that it was ready to pick up. And so I, but I, so I got it. I'm very, uh, actually, very happy with it. It's uh, see, iPad that I have is the original iPad Air, and I, I'm what I'm going to do is give that to my parents. Uh, I think the, the the iPad that I originally gave them, the one before that, uh, you know, I think is pretty well shot at this point because it was like, I don't know, it was, uh, well, it was the iPad Air, so it was it was like the next model after the original iPad. So that's, it's kind of old and the battery's kind of shot and I, you know, so, it, but this one that I, this uh, iPad Air that I had, yeah, no, I had an iPad before that. So the iPad Air, that's the one that I'm going to give to them now. It works fine, but it, uh, you know, it won't update anymore uh, to the new operating system. But uh, it'll do whatever they want it to because they're not doing anything really sophisticated with it. They're not, you know, and that's one of the reasons, I, you know, for $313, uh I figured I couldn't really go wrong, so I, I did. That's why I went ahead and got it, and especially because it was in stock, because I wasn't going to do any, you know, order it. Uh, you know, I just I tend to like things that are in stock, you know, and if I if I want to buy something locally, I want it to be in stock. I don't want to have to go through you know stupid ordering process, so. But in any case, I bought that, and uh, like I say, so far I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, so, but you know, I'll just 
be using it basically to w- probably watch videos on, uh, you know, because it, it's got really this uh, base model. I think it's like a 10 point, they're considering it a 10.2 inch or whatever. The base model 64 gigabyte iPad that sells for $313, or at least that's what my local Best Buy uh, is charging for it. Uh, it's got the, you know, the whatever the A13 bio, so called Bionic chip or whatever, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty fast. And so what I'll do, I'll be watching videos on it. The, you know, my old iPad, uh, you know, I tend not, tended not to use it very much bec- anymore because it uh, just got to where it was uh, with the updates and everything that I was able to receive. It got to where it was kind of slow. So, uh, you know, so. And then, but then this one, this new one, of course, it'll run the... There's some apps, some apps that want, that require the newest version of the operating system, and so that this one, this new one has that. So I'll be able to to run some things on that, and so I'll use this. Uh, one of the things I plan on using this new iPad for is to watch videos because typically I'm kind of using the phone quite a bit to watch videos because it's just it's really more convenient, and it's, of course the phone is super fast. And, uh, you know, so as opposed to that old iPad. So, uh, you know, you know, maybe kind of save the phone a little bit, you know, not uh, be, you know, kind of using the battery on the phone so much. Because I do, you know, if, you know, if I watch, end up watching hours of videos on it, usually in the middle of the day, it's, <clears throat> I have to plug it back in and kind of recharge it. Whereas if I don't, uh, if I'm not, don't have the screen on all the time, then it uh, tends to last, you know, it'll easily last like a day and a half before I have to plug it back in. So, but, uh, so in any case, I bought that. And then, uh, so like I say, I've got a couple of days left, you know, kind of remaining before I go back to work. So I, uh, have a, I think it's about a 20-minute video that I'm going to play, and so in the audio podcast, you're going to hear the audio, and uh, I don't know what YouTube is going to do. I may get in trouble by uh, playing this video. What I Let's see, so what I probably want to do... I don't want to... I'm not going to make the video full screen... So, uh, let me see if it will let me kind of reduce the size of it. So, if I can reduce the size of it, then that may, uh, (laughs) they may not, uh, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Well, I guess I can do it about that size. I guess that'll... Maybe that'll work. I don't know if that would do a... Okay, well. So anyway, I want to go ahead and play this video. And uh, I really, the reason that I want to display it is because it does have some charts and graphs in it. And like I say, it's a, it's 19 minutes and 55 seconds. 
The fellow's name is uh, Harry Dent, and he's uh, was Harry S. Dent Jr. And this video was actually recorded in uh, 2015, and uh, he's going to be basically he's talking about uh, trends, basically geopolitical trends, and. Uh, it's well worth listening to because it uh, he's using geopolitics in order to, to uh, predict what's going to be happening, and it's like I say, that's very interesting because it's it's uh, it pretty well nails uh, if you if you can understand demographics and uh, especially the demographics, you can you can uh, pretty well reliably predict it's. Uh, you know, you can you can pretty well reliably predict what's what's going to happen with a country if you know if you know the demographics. In the same way that you can, uh, and he'll explain it in the video, but it's in the same way that you can uh, actually uh, predict actuarially. Uh, you know, like how long people are going to live. The average, you know, the average person. It's not the individual, but the average. You can predict how long. Let's say for Social Security purposes, you can predict how long the average American is going to live. You know, average American man is going to live so long. Average American woman is going to live maybe a couple, of, a few more years later. Uh, you can, you know, you can predict all kinds of things. Especially, you know, like when when is the you know the peak peak point where they're going to be uh, spending the most money? Is I think he says is age forty seven for American uh, families. That's when they're going to be spend you know they're going to be spending the most money. And then after that, uh, as people age, they don't spend as much. They don't consume as much. So it's very interesting from that, and so you can extrapolate that, uh, and you know, into major trends. So let me see if I can go ahead, and uh, I don't know if this is going to work or not. So we'll go ahead and switch to that. If I can't, oh, I know what I've got to do. Okay, so what I want to do is do that. Nope, that's not what I want. How about that? Uh, now we're looking into infinity. Let's see. Okay. So there we got we got a, like a smaller... I could probably figure out how to just put this on the screen with me still visible, but uh, I'm not going to do that right now. So I'm going to go ahead and play this, and I'm going to... Uh, Maybe stop and start it. I don't know, but, uh, you know, so we'll see, see how it goes. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming at this early hour. My name is Kim Sang-hyup. Well, I have always thought if I had to choose just two big drivers or challenges that are changing our world fundamentally, I would, without hesitation, climate change and demographic change. As for demographic changes, it is all about our social and economic system. It is about our jobs. It is about our education. 
It is about our children. It is about health. It is about our house. And it is about our financial asset. It is almost about everything. And as for climate change, it is about our surroundings or platform we are living on. It is even about our whole modern civilization. Having said that, we have very wonderful speakers today. Uh, from my left, uh, we have Mr. Harry Dent, who is the chairman of the Dent Research Forum. He's world's top-notch expert in reading demographic trends and forecasting the future ahead. He is the author of the, the great booms ahead, and also I wrote a book. Where is it? He is the, also the author of the demographic cliff, which is the main topic of this session. Let us start with uh, our uh, keynote presenter, Mr. Dent. Well, Mr. Dent, it is my understanding that the uh, the, the guru of uh, management, Peter Drucker said that when you really want to develop a, a real good strategy or policy, you need to start with understanding demographic change because that is a basic driver. And uh, you successfully forecasted the collapse of Japanese economy in 1989. And you also foretold a great boom in the uh, 1990s. But this time, this time, you are, we are going to see the burst of demographic bubble or a demographic cliff and unprecedented spending cut, which would be the worst case we have ever seen before. Is that right? Yes. Japan was the first country to see their large baby boom generation peak in spending and then tail off, way ahead of the United States. And South Korea is actually the last wealthy country in the world to see this peak in 2018. So we've seen a succession of countries, but we're getting to the point where now Europe is joining it and, and after the United States. And so this is a worldwide phenomenon. And, and the baby boomers have created bubbles in everything because there's so many of them. They, they were called a pig moving through a python way back earlier. And really, it, Peter Drucker was the only management expert <laughs> right. who foresaw the importance of demographics. Economists do not understand the importance of demographics. Okay, let us more about it from you. The floor is yours. Would you okay, kindly great, go thanks. to this podium? Um, I'll tell you a little secret. Long-term forecasting is actually very easy. It is the short term that is hard to predict. Now, most economists think the opposite. They will tell you, well, nobody can forecast the economy past the next election because they think that politicians and, and all their short-term decisions and all their stimulus and fiscal and monetary policies are the most important thing. What's important in the economy is people. And what people do is incredibly predictable. Now, the, the first people, before Peter Drucker, to understand demographics were life insurance actuaries. They can predict down to the decimal point when the average person in any country in the world is going to die. It's like 79.6 in the United States. I think it's 80 to 81 
in South Korea. It's 84 in Japan. They're the longest living country. I don't know if it's the, the sushi, the sake, or what, but uh, the seaweed, but they're doing something right uh, in Japan. What I do is focus on everything in between. People have to be born before they can do anything. So that's where it starts. People are expensive when they're young. Anybody have kids that aren't expensive? Okay. Kids are expensive to raise. They are a cost. They're an investment in the future. But they're the innovators in new technologies and new trends. And then they enter the workforce and they become highly productive citizens. And they will peak at age 46 in the United States, age 47 in South Korea and Japan. They will then spend less the rest of their life. They will retire at age 63 on average. Now, I can tell people, for example, down to the smallest things, when the average household will spend the most money on potato chips. That is age 42. Do you know why that is? It's because in the United States, the average kid was born to the average parent when the parent was 28, and kids consume, medically proven, the most calories at age 14. That's demographics. Cradle to grave. I can tell you when people spend on every major sector of the economy. Automobiles, which is a big industry for South Korea. People spend the most money in the United States on automobiles at age 54. That is this year. That means auto sales in the United States are going to decline like home sales did previously in that country. So, it's not just the economy we can predict, it's cradle-to-grave spending. And it's very precise on average. When I say peak in spending is age 46, that's the average person. When a life insurance actuary says, I'm going to die at 79.6, that's the average person, not me. Averages make people predictable. So real quick, the point of my latest book is that we have this demographic cliff that keeps hitting more countries around the world and nobody sees it coming. Do you think in Tokyo in 1989 that people thought there was going to be a multi-decade collapse in the economy, that the real estate bubble in Tokyo and around Japan was going to collapse 60%? 60% housing went down and did it ever come back? Never. Still down 60% 24 years later. This is demographics. And in many countries I'll show, South Korea included, there, is very, there isn't a large second generation, echo boom, millennial generation, they call it, to follow to pick up that slack. Some countries it's higher, some countries it's not. What I will show later on, and remember this, South Korea is like Japan on a 22-year lag. I've been telling people in the United States for decades, don't tell me housing can't go down, don't tell me our economy can't slow, don't tell me stocks can't go down. Look at Japan. They've already gone through what we went through before the United States, and Europe's about to go through it, and you're the last country. The advantage you have, you're the last country to see this demographic cliff in spending, and you can at least prepare for it and see it coming. So I'm going to start with Japan, this first chart. This is Japan's birth curve. 
What you see is there was a first peak before World War II in 1942. Births went down when everybody was away. And as soon as the soldiers came back, births spiked one more time into 1949 and then dropped drastically. I'm sitting in the late 80s looking at this chart saying, oh my God, Japan's going to have a huge downturn and nobody's going to see it coming. And I did predict that in 1989. Japan did go down. We predicted a 14-year downturn because of this curve. Look at the bounce after that. Their echo boom, or millennial generation, is not that large. And it will peak in 2020, just four or five years from now, and then they will see an even bigger downturn. Japan is a dying nation. Demographically, it's going to continue to decline, and they have no policy for encouraging immigration, and they have no policy or very little policy for encouraging women to have more kids, which is essential for the future. Now, I showed yesterday for people there, the United States, again, we just moved forward. The birth index for the peak in spending, which I do here, correlates with the stock market very well, except for recently, in the last few years, when governments have pushed up markets by printing trillions and trillions of dollars, free money, zero interest rates, which is a short-term policy that will always, always backfire. You do not get something for nothing, at least in the world as I've experienced it. And that's what governments are doing. They're trying to prevent this decline. The more the consumers slow, the more they pump money in the economy to offset it. But the United States was due to peak in 2007. I predicted that in the late 80s as well. And we've been fighting that decline ever since. We don't turn around and boom again until about 2023. And then the next generation coming, notice compared to Japan, we have a much larger echo boom generation. That's a good thing. But still, does not bring us higher than the baby boom. The United States, on a 46-year lag, now this is how simple this is. The rising birth trends on a 46-year lag for peak spending would have told you way back that we'd have the greatest boom in history from 1983 to 2007, and then we would go into a decline. The next boom will never be as strong as the last one. Now this is gonna be the surprise of the next several years. Germany has worse demographic trends into 2022, the next seven or eight years, than any country in the world, a steeper drop than Japan had in the 1990s. So I'm predicting Germany, who everybody thinks is the leading and strongest country, and they are the most financially sound in Europe, they have the worst demographic trends, even worse than Greece and other countries. Look at their echo baby boom. There almost isn't one. So countries that don't have kids don't have a future because you have to be born to grow up and be a productive citizen. Here is Southern Europe, Italy, Spain, Greece, Portugal, all the countries that are doing so poorly. Same thing, a peak, a long decline with virtually no echo boom generation to pick the economy up later. Even when the world recovers, from this downturn I'm predicting. Southern Europe, Japan, countries like that will have a hard time growing. Here is South Korea. Again, you're the last to peak. Your baby boom spending peak does not hit until 2018, three years from now. And you're the last wealthy country in the world to have your baby boom peak. But unfortunately, 
you have a long decline with almost no echo boom. This country needs to encourage immigration, needs to encourage wider speaking and teaching in English, needs to help women with childcare. The best countries in the world now are subsidizing childcare because they don't want women to have a conflict between their career and having kids. And there's cultures, I hate to say it, like South Korea and Japan, where the men do not help the women, okay? In Sweden, they do. In the United States, they kind of do. Women need to feel like they can work and have two or three kids instead of maybe just one. It is also a fact in demographics, and this is just a natural cycle. As people get more urban and more wealthy, they naturally have fewer kids because they cost more to raise. And you have more lifestyle opportunities when you live in a beautiful city like this with so much to do. So again, countries need to get hip. If you don't have more kids, if you don't encourage immigration, and now that we're living much longer than we used to, if you don't have people retire later, your workforce is going to shrink and your economy is going to shrink. Here's China. This is another big surprise. China is the only emerging country that has peaked in their workforce. Now, when I look at third world or emerging countries, I don't simply look at a 46, 47 year peak. I look at the size of the workforce because in these countries, they don't have nearly as high managerial, professional, technical jobs. So the income rise between somebody that's 20 something and 40 something is not nearly as steep. China is already peaked in their workforce, and after 2025, it goes down more steeply. China is not going to overtake the United States and become the largest country economically in the world. I predicted that. Economists were saying that for Japan in 1989. That was even more served because Japan didn't have the demographics to even have. Now, here's the good news. Southeast Asia. Asia is going to be the greatest booming place in the future, especially the emerging countries. Here's Southeast Asia. Their spending and demographics go up into 2040 to 2050 and then only slow slightly. So this is going to be a great region for growth. This is the region countries like South Korea should be trying to attract immigrants from because you have a much higher standard of living here. India is going to be the country of the future. Mark my words on this. Their demographics are some of the steepest. They're going to be the largest population country in the world, surpassing China. They are still largely rural and have a lot of urbanization, and their spending goes up into about 2060, and again, only slowly tailors off. Now, when I look at emerging countries, and this is important because, as I said yesterday, the emerging world is where all the demographic growth is and all the urbanization. In a country that is largely still rural, it is the rate of urbanization that is the most important factor for economics because, and I've measured this in Brazil, China, and India, three of the largest emerging countries, if you simply move somebody from a rice paddy into a city like Seoul, and let's just say they become a taxi driver or something, no education change, their income triples roughly. So it's the greatest factor of growth. The reason China has grown so fast is they have moved a half 
a billion people in 25 years from rural to urban areas. In fact, China has done this so fast, they're going to have the biggest crash in the world. China has grown too fast, has overbuilt its economy beyond imagination, and nobody sees that coming. Mark my words, your biggest threat in Korea is that one of your biggest customers, trade partners, China, is going to see the biggest bubble burst in modern history. But I look at urbanization, the rate of urbanization, you can look at India, they're only 33% urban. So they've got growth for decades and decades. I estimate they will continue to urbanize at least into 2070. And they will go from, you know, 4,000 GDP per capita to 13,000. There is a straight line relationship with urbanization and growth in GDP per capita. Economists don't get this either. Simplest damn thing in the world, and nobody sees it. Now, I look at China. China is 56% urban and projects that it will be about 15,000 GDP per capita. Now, this is important. I know in the United States that most people walk around thinking the Chinese are going to be just like us. They're going to have 4,000 square foot houses, two big cars, a Cadillac, and all this sort of stuff. They're not. They will never be as rich as you are today. Never. Because only so many countries, and I'll look at this, make the transition from emerging to developed country from low-value-added commodity industries into high-value-added industrial and technology industries. You made that transition. Japan made that transition. India has not. China has not, as much as they may seem to. The richest country in Asia, emerging country, is Malaysia, and they project out to about 17,000 GDP per capita. Again, just for comparison, the United States is 52,000 and rising. Most developed countries are between 40 and 60,000 GDP per capita. Most important point, this was Japan's curve. Japan did not go up in a straight line with urbanization, it went up in an S-curve. So did Korea, exactly 20, 25 years later. You are Japan on a 22-year lag. Their baby boom peaked 1949, yours peaked in 1971. Everything, urbanization and growth in your economy. We have the biggest debt bubble in history, and when debts finally unravel, money disappears, and you get deflation. Look at China's growth. 3.5 times their GDP debt has grown for decades. You can't do that without a crisis, as history always shows. Finally, I've got four major cycles. I've only talked about demographics. I've got a geopolitical cycle, good for 18 years, bad for 18. I've got an innovation cycle when new technologies have their biggest impact, and a 10-year boom-bust cycle. For the first time since the 70s and 30s, all four of these cycles point down at the same time. I'm telling people, if we do not have a major global financial crisis in the next four to five years, I'm going to quit my profession and move to Australia and become a limo driver. Thanks. Okay, so that... Uh, the World Knowledge oh. Forum. Okay. They weren't quite done yet. Uh, that was World Knowledge Forum is the YouTube channel. That's the name of the YouTube channel. And this uh, Harry S. Dent, he's actually got his own uh, YouTube channel, and he's got short videos on it, like six, seven minutes. And he's, you know, he puts them up there fairly frequently. And so he's continuing, you know, what he's saying now is, that, you know, of course, the our government and a lot of governments have pumped 
trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy to try to keep it propped up and uh, that you know I don't you can do that only so long and then it uh, inevitably it causes you know just makes the problem worse and worse and worse as they try to kick the can down the road so uh, you know but anyway Harry S. Dent uh, is very interesting um you know, but I wanted to play this particular one, even though it's, you know, it's a little out of date. This was 2015, but uh, he, you know, you know, he's makes that makes absolutely absolute sense. And, uh, you know, like he said, he predicted the downfall of Japan uh, back in 1989. When everybody thought, if you were if you were alive then, it was like the Japanese were taking over. There was a a pop song. I think I'm turning Japanese. You know, <laughs> if you remember that song, probably look it up. Uh, in fact, I could probably do that right now. Let's see here if I can reach the keyboard. Whoops. There it is. Okay, I think I'm turning Japanese, and that was, when was that song? It was by The Vapors, Turning Japanese, and it's on. It's actually on YouTube. I'm not going to play it. But, that, you know, you can find that on YouTube, and then there's a, that was released in 1980. So back in 1980, we all thought that Japan was just going to take over uh, the world, and, uh, they couldn't because they didn't have the demographics. And so the same thing is true with China. They're, they're, uh, they don't have the demographics to do it. Sorry. You know, so. But you can't really predict, you know, because then you assume that the United States is uh, going to be stable and what have you, and uh, but you can't necessarily make that assumption either because we're we're obviously not stable. Uh, you know, we're not as stable, not nearly as stable as I would like. But uh, <laughs> so they, you know, they might the Chinese might be able to take over by default whatever's left of China. So, but it sounds like India's got the India's got the population according to. Uh, what this guy's saying, you know, India's got the India has the the right demographics in order to really dominate well into the future, you know. But if you you know the, your kids, the kids really are the future. It's really what it comes down to, and uh, you know you can do immigration and what have you, and uh, that's all well and good. You know, you do your immigration, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, you still, you know, you got to be able to assimilate people and you've got to be able to, uh, you know, you know, have people actually sort of replicate, you know, like-minded people. You really need like-minded people. And the, the people that immigrate need to assume the mindset if they're going to really uh, assimilate they have to that that really that means assume the mindset of uh, you know i was thinking about uh, you know how is it 
you know, geographically I've talked about, how is it that you can have, and, and it's true in most any, especially major city, I'll use Dallas, Texas as an example, or even New York City, but Dallas, Texas works. You know, there's a, South Dallas is kind of crappy. You know, you get it, North Dallas, uh, there's other parts of it that are fine, you know, nice areas. Uh, lower crime statistics, etc. But you go to South Dallas, and and you can, and it just, it's the parts of it are the pits. It depends on where it's at. But then you just go a few miles, you can pick a really bad neighborhood where the, like a long I twenty in South Dallas, where the truck stops are, and uh, you can. Uh, just go, if, you know, and they're really bad, and you got these, pe- you know, these people kind of hanging out and what have you. And uh, even though the neighborhood doesn't look that bad, but it is. And you just go a few miles away, and you got these really nice industrial park areas where it's really quiet, and you know, you no problem at all, low crime. Uh, and it's, but what the difference is is the mindset. That's what I realized. It's it's the mindset that really kind of keeps, you know, the bad neighborhood. Generally speaking, rule of thumb, uh, the bad neighborhood stays put. And that's true in New York City as well. You know, there are areas where it's fairly safe in New York City and you go half a block the wrong way and you can find yourself in major trouble. And it's because there's a, it, it's a, ends up being a different mindset, and those two mindsets, uh, it's almost like a border. You know, now people, like I say, the, sometimes the bad person can come into the better neighborhood but uh, and cause crime. But generally speaking, uh, as a th- rule of thumb, on average, they stay put. And, uh, but that's why it's the mindset that, you know, so you wonder why, well, there's a wrong, every town's, you know, a lot of towns have a wrong side of the railroad tracks. And it's literally true. You know, I've seen that over and over again, even in little small towns. Uh, you know, you ha- you'll have an area that's wrong, so-called wrong side of the tracks, and, and it's literally true. You cross the railroad tracks, and then it's more of a poverty area. And you know how is that possible? Why can't why can't those areas uh, prosper? And the reason is that it's the mindset of the people, you know. And then of course, if you you know, they call it gentrification is the, the term that they use for that. If uh, you, you know, you take a bad area and you do the you know. The, build the nice things and you get newer people to move in or better people higher you know people with not necessarily just a higher income but they've got probably a higher moral standard because that the two do kind of go hand in hand as another rule of thumb the two do sort of go hand in hand and uh, it sort of displaces the poor people. And then, well, you're just gentrifying. You just want to gentrify the neighborhood and kick the poor people out. Well, the poor people have a poor mindset as a rule of thumb. Now, that's not, not necessarily, uh, I'm not condemning them. But uh, generally speaking, it, it really does revolve around morals. 
to a large extent. So, you know, but but uh, then you get into other factors as well. People, uh, you can say, well, people aren't educated or whatever. Well, you know, pro- is the problem is the mindset. You can try to educate them economically all day long, but if they if they if the wrong mindset is or it's you know ideological possession essentially is in control of people and you know and of course ideologically you know birds of a feather flock together as the old saying goes well that's uh, another you know I could say it more formally by saying that ideologically possessed people tend to stay in their ideologi- ideologically possessed groups uh, same thing so you know, and it's really difficult for people to to try to get out of a mindset like that. So, but uh, I don't know. That's very interesting. But I find that the demographics in general I, is that's those are some really powerful ideas, and uh, you know, and just populations in general, and and of course, uh, ideological possession is another thing that I find really fascinating. Because it, 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 you know, being possessed by ideas really does uh, end up having a profound effect on not only, you know, certainly groups of people, but us as individuals. If we're if we're sort of trapped in an ideology, then uh, you know, you know, and, and the thing is, we can uh, you can be trapped easily trapped. In an ideology, you can be ideologically possessed and and never admit it to yourself, because that's the last thing you want to do. Is uh, the last thing you want to do is is admit that uh, to yourself that uh, you're acting out of some you know some some other uh, someone else's will or someone else uh, or or someone else you know someone else has kind of pushed your buttons. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that they, they, you know, when someone can push their, your buttons, it simply means they can see, at least in part, the ideological possession framework that you're trapped in, and all they've got to do is just press the right button, uh, and you're going to act in a certain way, and it's, and it's pretty predictable because of the ideology. You know, so it's, but it's really difficult to, to be able to, Bring your, you know, to admit to yourself that you're, that you know, that you acted out. You know, it's basically someone else's will, but you acted out uh, outside of your own best interests. You know, but you know the, and it does go back to the fact that w- there is no escaping from a religious. You know, it's really a religious framework. There's no escape from it. You may think that you you can escape from it and you're perfectly logical and you do this and you do that. You can't. You cannot escape from it because you're going to put your faith into something. You, you, you know, some sort of an ideology, you will put your faith into it whether you want to or not. Uh, so you might as well admit it that you're putting your faith into whatever it is and, uh, you know, at least be honest with yourself. 
But uh, you have to put your faith in something, and then you will end up, uh, you know, kind of following the tenets of, uh, you know, and you can think of ideological possession as sort of a crippled religion, sort of, uh, you know, so. But uh, so anyway, I wanted to go ahead and record the podcast and uh, kind of pop that uh Harry S. Dent Jr. in there, the little short video. There's a, there's a bunch of other videos that you can find of his. Just type Harry S. Dent into uh, YouTube, the search engine, and you'll find, you know, he's got a website, and then you'll find all kinds of YouTube videos where he's giving these presentations, and he's appearing on these different... Uh, uh, a lot of them are video, like video podcast shows on YouTube, uh, and then he's got his own YouTube channel where he's, like I say, he's putting up, you know, kind of shorter videos that are more topical from day to day. And he's basically, you know, kind of going on and on. A lot of it is uh, he's really railing against the, the trillions and trillions of dollars that the government has pumped into the economy, you know, which that's really bad what they've done. So there's a, kind of a day of reckoning coming. But uh, so it makes me glad that I'm completely out of debt and, uh, you know, I have been for a few years. So I, you know, that's again, that's one of the reasons I'm continuing to work because uh, I think I'd be really foolish in order to, to, you know, to think that, well, I can just uh, quit and live on, you know, live on a fixed income and, uh, You know, I think that would be a, a really foolish move on my part, you know, especially to give up a like a $90,000 a year job just so I could live on a fixed income. I think that would be just utter, utterly foolish. So for the time being, I'm going to just keep working and uh, doing what I do, you know, and and then, you know, and a lot of people, they'll quit the job, they'll quit their job, but let's say they quit driving a truck and... Uh, then they, you know, they'll sit at home for a year or whatever, and then they're bored to tears, and then they go back to work and, you know, find some other driving job that's not, you know, it's not as good as what they had. Chances are it's not going to be as good and it's not going to pay as well. You know, so why, why did they quit in the first place? And I think it was because they didn't really know what they wanted. They just had some sort of a vague... <clears throat> they had some sort of a vague idea that uh, they were stepping into utopia, and I think a lot of people think that they that that they're, they're sort of dream walking into uh, this idea that they quit, and then you know they're walking into a utopia. So I don't know if you've noticed the the back if you're watching the video. Uh, kudos to you, by the way, uh, for torturing yourself watching this video. Uh, you'll see that the background, I've, you know, it's, a, it's like a Hubble-type image. But it's really fascinating because if you look uh, on the video, you look to my right, and you see the background and it's sort of a gas cloud or whatever, but there's a face in it, sort of. So I'm going to use the mouse cursor right here, and you, you should be able to see the mouse cursor. So there's an eye right there, if you can't see the face. 
And then right here, there's sort of a flat nose, if you can make that out. See, there's a kind of a nostril right there. And then this is sort of forms sort of a mouth, <laughs> or maybe with teeth in it or something showing. You know, and you see sort of the outline of lips or whatever, and then you can see these, you know, sort of rough-looking teeth. So it looks like the, you know, some sort of a, like a water buffalo or something. <laughs> but it's it's really interesting, you know, and and the reason that appears that way is because our brains are looking for patterns. But it's. Uh, you know, and, and and that's what a lot of artists are doing. You know, if someone's an artist, a real artist, uh, they're kind of uh, playing with those patterns, and they're playing with their uh, the really good art is sort of playing with the, our the human brain's uh, capacity necessity really to find patterns because our brains are you know really trying to find patterns and you know any kind of thing that you know especially visual stuff it's like half of our brain is dedicated to visual recognition you know so uh <laughs> but anyway that's that's kind of an interesting uh interesting little image there so anyhow i think i'm going to go ahead and cut this off uh Hope everyone uh, is, has had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend coming up. And I will catch you later. Remember, Trucker Tom is like Visa. He's everywhere you want to be. Product reviews, restaurant reviews, photos, opinions, and more. Visit Trucker Tom's website at www.truckerphoto.com. You've been listening to Trucker Tom's podcast, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. All you have to do is send us an email to tom at truckerphoto.com.